Paolo Maldini, Thomas Muller, Alexander Kuprianov, or should I say Messrs Milan Munich and Kirlia Sovetov Kubishev, respectively. Any player would love to be considered a club legend, but to be anointed the mister of your club is to have woven yourself so deeply into a club's tapestry that player and club are one in the same. Today we cast our minds back to some of the foremost of this category of footballer, compiling the Mr. Insert Club 11. Ben, I would say welcome, but I'm currently enjoying your hospitality, so thank you for having me. This is a rare treat, isn't it, being able to record while sat alongside each other. I'm really looking forward to this episode, and I guess it was inspired by the send-off that Mark Noble got. Uh, Obviously the end of his career at West Ham, and many of the media branded him as Mr. West Ham. So I suppose it got us thinking, who is the Mr.? of some of the other clubs that we have in the world, maybe the more obscure ones. And that's why we've compiled this 11 today. Exactly. We're playing a 5-4-1 system. I think you can endear yourself to a fan base more being a defender. Often Mm. captains are defenders. I think captaincy is quite a mister... Um, Mr. Insert Club <laughs> characters, <laughs> if you could say. Yeah, yeah uh, do get in touch at 11pod, it's the word, not the number, on Twitter with your suggestions. In goal for the Mr. Insert Club 11 is Igor Akinfeyev. Oh, yes, okay. Although he's currently playing. Yeah. And I think we like our players to have retired in preference. But I think perhaps a characteristic of the great Russian goalkeepers is this fact that they stick at, at one club. Obviously, Lev Yashin, possibly the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. uh, played all of his career for Dinamo Moscow. Um, and Igor Akinfeyev has been at CSKA Moscow since he was four years old. It really is in his blood. Uh, And he extended his contract in May this year. So that will see him stay at the club until 2026. Um, He said of that, actually, the fans should be happy that I extended my contract. Rather, I should be happy that the club saw fit to extend my contract. I've always given and will continue to give my all because soccer is my favourite job. CSKA is my own favourite and the best club in the world. I've been happy at the club for over 30 years and I'm very happy. He's just delighted, just delighted to be here. Um, But 705 appearances, over 300 clean sheets, 111 international caps for Russia, uh, six Russian Premier League titles, six Russian Cups, six Russian Super Cups. He's won the UEFA Cup. There's no doubting that he is enormously uh, successful. Um, It wasn't always good. Um, For 11 years, between 2006 and 17. Uh, he had the very unwanted record of going 3,919 days. That's 43 games without keeping a Champions League clean sheet. Mm. Uh, so he conceded 84 Champions League goals during oh. that time. But he did put that to an end at one point, finally. I think Sir Alex Ferguson was pretty wholesome in his praise of Akinfeyev after the 3 all draw at Old Trafford in November 2009, he said, I have to say he's a fantastic goalkeeper. He's athletic with a powerful build and his distribution is good. He really saved CSKA from a big defeat against us. He was outstanding. So obviously, it's the manager's prerogative to try and come up with excuses why their team didn't win. (laughs) But to have praise from the likes of Sir Alex is, is pretty impressive. And I think this Mr. Insert Club 11... Probably a good hallmark of a, a player who sums that characteristic up is someone who um, stays loyal to the club. And it seems to me that Akinfeyev's just been linked pretty much every summer mm. with a move to, to Arsenal, to Bayern, to Real Madrid, to Manu, to any of these big clubs. And he's always stayed loyal. And I think another hallmark of a Mr. Club, if you will, is someone who's played for them during the good times. And certainly CSKA Moscow with Akinfeyev have had the likes of Wagner Love and Joe and they've been right up near the top our favourite little and large partnership oh 100% 100% so it's no wonder he's so popular Um, I've just been scouring his Wikipedia page while you were talking Arthur and 
Uh, he's described here by Pavle Gognidze uh, of UEFA as a cool-headed goalkeeper in spite of his young age with cat-like reflexes. Ooh. So uh, very, very, uh, very kind of, uh, yeah, of him to describe the like sort that. of Peter Bonetti Absolutely. of Russian football. I also actually on on his Wikipedia it it marvelled over his ability to kick the ball ninety meters with his right foot and eighty meters with his left. How precise! Very incredible. I think we've uh, we've talked about ambipedestrous players. <laughs> but I made up that word a few episodes ago, so we're going to go with it again. Distribution, impressive from that Russian go- goalkeeper. Indeed. And left back, Ben. Well, I think Javier Zanetti was the first name mm. that sprung to mind, but yep. that's not my pick. Arthur. Okay. <laughs> um, it's actually Alan Tate. Alan Tate. Yes. Swansea legend. Mr. Swansea. There we go. Um, a brave, robust utility defender born in County Durham. Uh, he was spotted at a young age and played his youth football for Manchester United, where he would sign a professional contract at the club captain the reserve team in the early noughties uh, and helped bring through really the likes of Quinton Fortune, Chris Eagles and Luke Chadwick. Who were, to Eagles under his wing. They, they were oh, very good. They would look up to Tate as their leader on the park. He won the Jimmy Murphy Young Player of the uh, Year Award at United, uh, which was won previously by Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes. So high hopes for him, but he wasn't quite good enough to make the grade. It was a lone spell at Swansea who were playing in the fourth tier that would turn his career and he enjoyed his time at Swansea so much that he would eventually sign for them permanently. He helped the Swans stay in the Football League in his first season. Uh, They were just one point off a drop back down to the conference and once his move was permanent he became a stalwart at centre-back, right-back, left-back and even central midfield as the Swans embarked on a remarkable rise up the divisions. In 0405, they went up to League One. In 0708, an outstanding season from one of your favourites, Arthur, Jason Scotland. Oh, what a, what a guy yeah. Jason Scotland was. Yeah. Helped them up to the Championship. Uh, and in 1011, they beat Reading in the playoff final to rise to the Premier League. Tate would play eight times in the Premier League, uh, making him one of three Swansea City players to have played at all four levels in the Football League during their meteoric rise. Do you know the other two? Um, hmm. I'm going to say it's gonna, maybe Leon Britton. Yes, seems correct. Quite, yeah. yeah, Joe Allen? Not quite. No. Gary Monk. Gary of course. Was the other one. Of course. Um, perhaps Tate would have played more Premier League games had it not been for a freak injury after his maiden Premier League season had just started. He was on the golf course and he broke his leg in a golf cart accident, oh, no. managing to lodge his leg between the golf cart and a tree. And this ruled him out for six months. Ow. Oh, that sounds yeah. nasty. I was When okay. you said um, a, a freak incident, I was thinking it's the classic one has slipped in the shower. Or, yeah. Or some kind of like bathroom utensil fell on him exactly (laughs) not driving a golf cart into a tree that sounds painful um ultimately he'd fall out with michael laudrup who was his manager and he'd seek greener pastures um playing for leeds as well as port talbot town um but despite not being a homegrown player tate was adopted as one of swansea's own um he returned to the club as a coach with steve cooper saying, I've been proud to step out onto the field and play for this club, captain the club. I was lucky enough to do that a few times. I'm proud of this place. My love for the club is forever. And like a lot of the names that are going to appear in this Mr. Insert Club 11, Tate was awarded a testimonial, which was played alongside, or against rather, a United Legends team. Now, this Are kind you Man of, United? Legends? Man United, yeah, because obviously oh, because his of the youth, youth yeah, career. Yeah, of course. But this is the most comedy United Legends team I've ever heard. This was the starting lineup. Are you ready? In goal, Kevin Pilkington. He made six caps for Manchester United. Back four, Dennis Irwin. Yeah. Okay. Russell Beardsmore. <laughs> Carl Monroe, who actually was never at Manchester United. He just happened to be playing for FC United of Manchester at the time, so they called him up. Wes Brown. Nice. In midfield, Chris Eagles, of his course, old friend. Of course, yeah. Clayton Blackmore. 
No. Ben Thornley, who made nine caps for Manchester United. And then up front, Danny Webber, who yes. was in their youth team. but Sheffield never, United striker. Yeah, never played a professional no. okay, game for cool. Man United. Nice. Dwight York. Yeah. And Eric Neverland. Okay. Good one cap for Manchester United. Oh, I didn't even okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I, I think at this stage I'm taking, if I've heard of them, that's yeah. a positive. And I've heard of Neverland. Mm. So. <laughs> anyway, that cobbled together, so I did win 4-2. Oh, so, um, fair enough. But Tatey mm. in at left back. I think it says something about him that I definitely thought he was was Welsh, mm. not from Durham. Yeah, So he's true. really ingrained himself in a club that's incredibly proud of their, their nation as well. Mm. Um, so good old Tatey, a uh, quality left back. Great centre back. Yeah, I've. Um, I think we've got a, we've got a back five today, so we've got three oh, of these, uh, yes. and I've got two. So I'll I'll open up with uh, with Linvoy Primus. Oh, <laughs> that must be really painful for you to say his it's, name. It's not painful because he's just such a likable man. Yeah, that's um, true. And I think obviously picking a Portsmouth player, it's never easy for me. But he began his career at Charlton. He found game time hard to come by. He was competing with the likes of Richard Rufus. Uh, for a starting place, obviously, another um, 11 alumnus. Um, he moved on a free transfer to Barnet uh, and desperate to prove Charlton wrong. Um, but this was a difficult time for him. He had depression uh, and became addicted to alcohol and drugs such as ecstasy and LSD uh, and suffered from anxiety before games. He wrote in his autobiography, Transformed, uh, mm. that he was weighed down by the burden of expectation and heard someone say he was the worst player we've ever had at Barnet. Oh, man. Um, but despite this, he went on to establish himself as a first-team regular in the lower divisions of English football, uh, and actually starred for them eventually, and earned a £250,000 move to Reading. Yes. And that's a sort of diddy play there for me, because mm. I, I so fully associate him with Portsmouth that the fact that he played for Reading surprises me. Mm. But uh, he was only there for a short period of time, three Fairly successful seasons at Reading uh, before a Bosman transfer to Portsmouth. He had a very poor start there, an own goal on debut and struggled to break into the team. But in 2002-03, he broke into the first team under Harry Redknapp and won Portsmouth Fans Player of the Year as well as PFA Fans Player of the Year in Division 1 as Portsmouth took the title. He became a, just a very reliable servant for Portsmouth. He marshalled the back line along with Arjun Dezieu and Dejan Stefanovic and later Sol Campbell uh, and even captained the club on occasions. Injuries blighted his career a little bit. He relied on the expertise of Richard Stedman, uh, who's saved, I think, quite a few players' careers. He's an amazing surgeon. Uh, and he went via a loan to Charlton, and then made his comeback uh, for Portsmouth in the 2008-9 season. He received a standing ovation from the home crowd and was cheered every time he touched the ball. There was just this real affinity. The fans just loved him. He was mm. he was a reliable presence. He clearly loved the club. He credits his faith in facilitating the career he had. Harry Redknapp gives us a little bit of insight into that. He said, I've come back in the dressing room and Joe Jordan was in there and there was only about three players sitting there. I said... Where have the players gone? He said, Linvoy Primus is using the boot room as a prayer room before the game. They all go in there and say their prayers. I said, I've just got United's team sheet. I better go join them. <laughs> classic, classic red nap. Love that. Um, and when he actually retired, Peter Storey, who's the club chief executive, paid tribute to him saying, and I quote... Linvoy is Mr. Portsmouth, oh. and we're sad that he will not be donning the blue shirt again. He had be, he's been a great servant to the club and is loved by everyone here and in the city. And actually, when he retired, they renamed the Milton End to the Linvoy Primus Community Stand, mm. um, and he was made an ambassador to the club. Incredible guy, and sums up Portsmouth Football the good bits about Portsmouth Football Club in my mind. Yeah, that's very noble of you to, oh. to nominate him, but I couldn't agree more. A popular figure. There is actually, to some extent, a real Mr. Portsmouth as well. I'm sure you're you've not going to say John, John Westwood. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Um, obviously, one of the most recognisable fans in English football with over 60 Portsmouth tattoos all over his body, oh. um, even engraved into his teeth. 
he actually changed his name by deed poll in 1989 from John Anthony Westwood to John Anthony Portsmouth Football Club Westwood in honour of his support. So, oh, um, silly. I think he's taken it one or two steps too far for me. <laughs> man. Linvoy, welcome. You are alongside Mr. Arsenal. Oh, Tony. Tony. Yes. Tony Adams. Of course, linked with Portsmouth as well. He managed them. Um, but he will be known for his time in North London, of course. Arguably one of England's all-time best centre-halves. The ultimate captain and leader. A rare breed of no-nonsense defender. And he was a one-club man. He made 672 appearances for Arsenal over 19 years, playing a major role in their rise from sort of sixth, seventh in the in the Premier League or in the first division as it was, up to a title contender and eventually to win that league. He was given a statue outside the Emirates. Adam is known by fans quite literally as Mr. Arsenal. Um, And to be honest, it's that kind of no-holds-barred physical stopper type that Arsenal haven't had for years. A professor of defence, said Arsene Wenger. Off the field, though, Adams has long fought addiction to alcohol. And it's been fantastic to see him beginning to win that battle. He's been a a brilliant ambassador for that, really, in battling addiction. Um, And he'd had... An eclectic, dare I say, 11-esque managerial career. I don't know whether you knew about this, Arthur. Well, the, the, the one role I definitely know he had was Granada. Because yes. of the brilliant video of him essentially dancing oh, with the players. Word. It is <laughs> such a bizarre video. You have to see it. Almost a sort of Mr. Tumble-esque kids TV dance, um, which has been mocked all over social media. Um, and I, I actually really enjoyed the interview he gave when he joined Granada as boss. Let's take a listen. I've got seven games to keep this club in the Liga, which we all want to do. This is why I'm here. I'm going to kick some players' ass, guys. I'm going to keep. I'm going to work them hard. I'm going to try my best that I can do with my 40 years of experience in football to try and get this good to keep the ball out of one end and stick it in the other. It's almost comically old school. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, it wasn't just Granada he managed. He managed Wickham Wanderers mm-hmm. and Portsmouth, who of we course. mentioned, and also Gabala in Azerbaijan. Oh, wow. So just decides to take his, uh, his sort of the English style of the game over to, yeah. over to there. That's that's fascinating. I know. I didn't so even know there was an Azerbaijan football league. There is. Um, I don't think he's missed the Gabala. Yeah, it w- wasn't a particularly successful spell. Mm. But um, welcome, Mister Arsenal, final centre back. Yes, the final one is another one club man, and it's Bullant Korkmaz. <laughs> okay, I know he played for the. Turkish national team. I don't know which Turkish side. He was very much a Galatasaray stalwart. Oh, okay. Um, He played a centre-back for them for his whole career, 18 consecutive seasons between 1987 and 2005. He too has a pretty impressive trophy haul, eight Super Leagues, six Turkish Cups, five Turkish Super Cups, and a UEFA Cup, a UEFA Super Cup as well. Uh, he's idolised by Ozan Kabak. Oh, okay. Amongst all diehard Galatasaray fans. Uh, in large part due to the, the heroic part he played in that UEFA Cup win in 2000. It's an incredible moment as he attempts to block a Thierry Henry shot. He falls awkwardly and uh, lands dislocating his shoulder. Georgie Hadji had already been sent off and they'd used all three substitutes. And so Galatasaray faced the prospect of playing the final 17 minutes of extra time with nine men. Uh, After initially writhing in agony, he refused to come off. He removed his shirt and ordered the medic to bandage up his shoulder. He says, I was in agony, but I kept telling myself death could come, but there's no coming back to this moment. Wow. The battered captain led his troops with one arm strapped to his body and amongst a series of blocks and challenges, he helped them limp through to penalties. Yeah. Uh, and then they became the first and thus far only, only Turkish club to win a European trophy following their 4-1 shootout triumph. The fans call him Buyuk Kaptan, 
which means great captain, or Kengava, excuse my pronunciation there, that means warrior. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I can really see why. This is a defender who wore his heart on his sleeve. He gave everything for the cause. He was aggressive in the challenge, unafraid to get hurt, as we can see. You also often saw him with a bloodied shirt, which mm. just sums him up, really. Uh, but he had excellent timing. He only got 67 yellow cards and five red cards in his 610-game career. So yeah. He's third on the list of most capped Turkish footballers. He's got 102. Mm. Uh, and he marshaled the defence as they finished third at the 2002 World Cup. If you ask any Galatasaray fan, I haven't asked any, <laughs> he would be considered Mr Galatasaray. I love that pick. It's definitely an English thing, an English bias, but I kind of see the Turkish Super League as somewhere where players go to for a couple of years yeah. in a sort of journeyman type situation. So that kind of loyalty is really nice to hear about. And rounding off our five-man defence, Steve Cherundolo. Oh, okay. so I'm interested to hear about him because he's, a, he's an American international. Correct. And that's, yes. that's all I know about him. He's an American international <laughs> who is Mr. Hanover 96. What? Which has admittedly no ring to it whatsoever. But this I found crazy because as far as I can tell, he has absolutely no native ties to Germany whatsoever. <laughs> I might be corrected on that. But from what I can read, this is very much an American born in America, played his youth football in America. But his first professional outfit was Hanover 96. So they plucked him from when he was very young. Effectively, his youth career. Came, maybe he came over for like a year abroad. Yeah, to, to... and his professional career, he's a one-club man. That's Hanover incredible. 96. Um, a five-foot-six right back. He was amazingly consistent and reliable. He got the best out of those around him rather than being an individual star. Um, and he moved to Germany in 1998 uh, and retired in 2014. That allowed him to play 423 matches for Hanover 96 and help them get promoted to the Bundesliga, establish themselves as a household top-flight name, and he would then become captain of the club. To do so, he warded off interest throughout, of his, throughout his career from some top clubs in Europe, including Bolton Wanderers. Maybe I'm being a little generous to Bolton fans, but talk, talk clubs. Yeah, there we I think, go. I think we can go with that. Um, and I would liken him to Dario Sernar in that sense. He was Mr. Shakhtar, yes. I, I think, but Dario Sernar is Croatian. Mm. So again, there's no obvious reference to the nation that he actually applied his trade in. Um, after retiring through injury, Cherendolo remained at the club as assistant coach. Um, and he played a key role in the club's response to the death of uh, the goalkeeper Robert Enker, hmm. tragically, in 2009. Um, it was Cherindolo's idea to put Enker's number one on the front of the Hanover jerseys for the remainder of the season. Um, and he would, received a lot of plaudits, really, for the way that he helped kind of gather around the players and the supporters and, and, and keep that season going. He became affectionately known as the Mayor of Hanover, which is a bit of an odd take on the Mr. Insert Club phraseology, but there we go. Um, and his club president, Martin Kind, said he's practically an emblem of Hanover. We'd just been promoted to Bundesliga 2 and in came this lad from the USA, not knowing the country, the language and the people. He had to find his feet here, and I've got to say, I like the Americans and the way they rise to challenges, and that's what Stephen did here. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary that one player spends so long with just one club and always identifies with them. That's so good. And I love the fact that the Germans would, would steadfastly refer to him as Stephen rather than Steve. Quite true, <laughs> quite true. Alba, Aspas... Iniesta! Down goes Akinferv. Aspas! Akinferv apply the fingertip again. So we hope that you've heard of the majority of the players that we've picked so far. It's always nice to break up the eleven a little bit, talking about another topic. And that would be celebrating the players from lesser known leagues who are still their club's Mr. Insert Club. On this occasion... I've wanted to draw the attention to a league that I've long enjoyed but never actually really known anything about, which mm. is the South African League. 
Okay, and I know two teams. Yeah, which two? Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates. Interesting you should say that, because those are also the only teams that I've heard of in that league. <laughs> Yet, those two have only won four titles each. Oh. The last five titles, and yeah. 12 in total, have been won by Marmelody Sundowns. Oh. And neither of us have ever heard of them. No, never heard of them. That's bizarre. There we go. Why is, is their marketing department superior yeah. at Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates? I, no I think it's because they were on FIFA. It probably is, yeah. yeah. Probably, yeah they didn't probably. put Marmelody in there. No, I don't know why. Uh, but I've chosen um, the centre-back who is absolutely Mr. Orlando Pirates. It's Lucky Legwathy. Lucky? Lucky Lego. What a, what a man. What a guy. He's yeah. Orlando Pirates' most successful captain. He captained them to six major trophies in two seasons. Uh, that's 2010 to 2012, making Pirates the only double treble champions since the formation of the league. Uh, and he was just influential in ending an eight-year league drought, scoring crucial goals, uh, most notably a winner against another team from South mm. Africa called Super Sport United. Oh, okay. There we go. And he was instrumental in their run to the 2013 African Champions League final. Mm. Um, he spent 14 of his, his league career years with Orlando Pirates out of 19. <laughs> uh, and in fact, 14 is a special number for him. It's the shirt number he wore at the club uh, and was the number of international caps he won for South Africa, which is interesting. The fans call him Captain My Captain which is possibly a reference to the Walt Whitman poem, Oh Captain, My Captain. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Okay. And he was voted the greatest leader ever in South African football in a poll wow. conducted by South African football magazine Kickoff. So he obviously beat South Africa captain Lucas Radaby to that. So I think that really yeah. shows what a legend of the game he was and really really sums up Orlando Pirates in a player. So thank you, Lucky Legwathi, for, for doing that. Brilliant. Mr. Orlando Pirates. Absolutely. I've picked a player of the name Noel Turner, which... Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking sort of a, a journeyman Haven and Waterlooville striker. Yeah, yeah. sort of Irish folk singer yeah. of the 90s. <laughs> um, in fact, you're wrong. He is a Maltese football legend. He's what? Noel is from Malta? Noel is from Malta. <laughs> and he is Mr. Sliema Wanderers. Oh, yeah. I've stayed in Sliema. Have you? Yeah. Is it nice? It's fantastic. It's a it's a short ferry ride over to Valletta. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's a lovely little neighbourhood. Fantastic. Beautiful country, Malta. Well, maybe that explains why Noel stayed there Absolutely. his entire career. Well, he was from Malta. He was from so, there. Yeah. Uh, a, a one-club man. Home is where the heart is. Yeah. 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 20 years he yeah. spent at the club. 344 games from central midfield, scoring 50 goals. Playing for the joint most decorated club in the country. Um, but actually, of their 26 titles, Sliema only won four whilst Noel was there. He did turn down interest from Europe throughout his career. But in a way, I can understand why he stayed. He got to play in the UEFA Cup qualifying. He got to play in the Champions League qualifying. Um, so it's kind of akin to the players who go to Vaduz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he actually got to play against some quality players because he was in a slightly inferior league. No disrespect to the Maltese. Did they get battered, though, whenever they played? They never qualified for the tournaments that in question. So that was one thing. Um, and he also played for the Maltese national side against the likes of Michael Balak and Pavel Nedved and Pep Guardiola. So wow. It, it's very much an obscure pick, an obscure Mr. Insert Club, but someone who actually must look back on his career and pinch himself at what he managed to experience. He had a testimonial tournament held for him in Sliema um, with all money going to the children's creche. Wow. So, um, yeah, quite kind of modest, but equally deserving of this his place on the podcast Noel Turner what a hero absolute legend and if you've got anyone um who who plays maybe even for your local town in their <laughs> in their local club who is who sums that club up then please do let us know at 11 pod the word not the number uh, we'd be very happy to hear right no left <laughs> Yes, 
Left. Stuart Downing. Oh, Stewie. <laughs> the only time he's featured on the 11 so far was with regard to, I think, his sister man- marrying Jonathan Woodgate. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. Keeping yeah. it in the family, those Middlesbrough boys. You know, <laughs> um, He's got such strong credentials for a Mr. Insert Club um, in the fact that he's a local lad. He graduated from the club's youth academy. Um, and the fact he was ball boy back in the day. I think mm. that's a real real tick in the box. And he went on to captain the team. So you've got a bit of a club icon here. Uh, and over two spells at Borough, he made a total of 401 appearances and became a key part of the team, uh, winning the League Cup in 2004, uh, though he watched that from the bench, and helping them to the UEFA Cup final two years later. He got three assists against Stal Bucharest in the semi-final. Um, so a real creative influence there he racked up 35 international caps and i that flabbergasts me because Mm. i i think stuart downing was a decent player no doubt about it but 35 caps that's many more than some great players and um i think it probably um sort of shows england's very well documented lack of depth at left wing uh quite clearly yeah. What, what were your memories of him? Pretty average. I thought he was. I thought he was a decent player, particularly before he went to Liverpool, which I think kind of shattered his reputation. Um, but certainly, if you listen back to our uncapped England eleven, I think some of the players in that podcast are perhaps better than Stewart. Yeah, and got Matt, Matty Etherington at much, times. Much yeah, better than I would Stewart, say. Yeah. So. Uh, across those four hundred and one games, got thirty-two goals. That's one every twelve and a half games. He got fifty-two assists every eight games. But f- for a, a largely attacking player, those are pretty, pretty average numbers. And as you say, he followed up his initial spell at Middlesbrough with stints at Villa, West Ham, and then subsequently Liverpool. And that. That transfer to Liverpool, twenty million pounds from Villa. Rumor had it when he joined that it was on the strength of a fake viral video where he kicked a ball into five separate bins in succession, and it showed his sort of control. And, but it was fake, so I hope that wasn't the uh, the basis that they signed him on. But for Liverpool in that 2011-12 season, he played thirty six. He had forty eight shots. Zero goals and zero assists. And during the time he was there, there was a rather humiliating hashtag Ask Downing on Twitter. uh, Where some of the questions included from Dwayle Adam 1. If you were a footballer, what would be your preferred position? (laughs) (laughs) And Liam Payne. I wonder if this is One Direction's Liam Payne. He said, how did you feel last season knowing Tim Howard was closer to lifting the golden boot than you? (laughs) There was Arpan Man United said, do you know any footballer except you who is neither footed? (laughs) Oh, no. And then Horror Guy said, if you were to transfer away from Liverpool, how many goats and cows would your new club receive in dowry to take you? So um, it wasn't a successful spell. I'd say the second of those seasons was far more successful, but that first one was just a horror show for him, frankly. Mm. But he did further cement his reputation as a hometown hero when he dropped into the championship to return home to Borough. He helped them return to the Premier League for the the ultimately ill-fated season with Stuani and Negredo up front. They got relegated straight back down, but he had come back. Uh, and he got given the honorary position of president of Middlesbrough Futsal Club Wow! Um, in 2007. Uh, and during his spare time, uh, Downing has DJed in several nightclubs in Middlesbrough. Mm. So, um, and, and I'd just like to end with a, a comment on a Middlesbrough fan site that I read from Sam Milburn, 1991, that says, Fallen out with more people over Downing than any other borough subject. Always baffled by some of the critics he's had. Started with him being too soft in his first spell and not being good enough his second. Comfortably the best player we've produced in my lifetime. What a left peg. And mm. I think that's that's kind of fairer on Stuart. I think he probably wasn't an England international of 35 caps worthy, but he was a, he was a good player who gave a lot of his career to Middlesbrough Football Club and did very, very well for them. Yeah, I like that pick. That's interesting. Be good to hear from Borough fans, actually, about their thoughts on Downing's career centre mid one of them is up for grabs Uh, if you're a regular listener you'll know we save that to the end and we get some 
journalists and sports personalities to give us their thoughts. Today is no different, but alongside that centre midfielder is Mr. Valencia, David L. Belder. Yes, mm. excellent pick. Him along with Vicente and people like yes, that. Yes, oh. very much so. What a midfield that was, by the way. Mm. Um, born and bred in Valencia, in the Valencian community of La Pobla Larga. Have I maybe pronounced that yep. correctly? Fantastic. Do you think? Um, aside from two loan spells at Villarreal, Albelda played his entire career at his hometown club, retiring after his release in 2013. His 480 appearances puts him third on the list of all-time appearances for the club, but he's certainly one of the most decorated, winning La Liga in 0102 and 03-04. Uh, he won the Supercopa de España, the UEFA Cup and the UEFA Super Cup, uh, and he was also a two-times Champions League runner-up. So when you think to Valencia nowadays, they're really not competing at that level, yeah. but they were outstanding under Rafael Benitez yeah. in the early noughties. Um, they had this almost unbeatable midfield three of Ruben Baraja, Pablo Aymar, and Albelda sat behind them as a stopper, the most defensive of that midfield, providing a shield in front of the back four. Um, and stopping opponents build ahead of steam was Albelda's main strength. He didn't always do it by the letter of the law, however. He was known for appealing everything, getting in the referee's <laughs> ear and trying to influence decisions for his team. And bookings were a regular occurrence. In fact, 183 career bookings makes him the eighth most booked player in the top leagues in football history. I didn't have him down as a sort of Scott Brown-like character. He was very much the kind of moaning, cheeky, in the referee's ear... And in, and in many senses, you need that, because mm. you had a team that was built on creativity, and... He perhaps needed a bit of that bite to be added to it. That's mm. clearly what he did. A hundred percent. And Valencia needed that. But despite his heroism, his time at Valencia would actually not be without controversy. In 0708, um, he was effectively sacked by the then coach, Ronald Koeman, after an alleged breach of club discipline. Wow. But the club eventually decided that they didn't like Koeman and removed him instead, <laughs> reinstating Albelda in the same season and the team avoided relegation from the Primera Liga. So um, Koeman was very um, strict and principled on, mm. on discipline and punctuality and everything. I do remember when he dropped Sadio Mane at Saints for um, turning up a bit late to the pre-match yeah. training session or something and he dropped him. And then bought him on half-time. We were 2-0 down to Liverpool and we won 3-2. And he scored two. There we go. There we go. So, our Belder centre mid. And I've also got the right midfielder. Have you? Yeah. Very excited about this one. It's James Coppinger. Yes, of course it is. It is. Do you know what? I desperately hoped you'd pick him. Because he is Doncaster through and through. Mr. Doncaster Rovers. What an exciting title to have. Um, 17 seasons across three divisions with the club, 695 matches. He was the Duracell bunny of the Football League throughout the noughties and the tens. Um, he retired last year, aged 40, um, and he never appeared to tire. In his final season for the club, he played 35 matches, aged 39. Wow. Um, and during his time at Doncaster... He'd seen many players come and go, some very 11-esque, the likes of Gabriel Tamas, Abdoulaye Mate, yes. and Habib Bey at oh. Doncaster's peak. Oh, I think that was a diddy play there. It very much felt yeah. like one, didn't it? Um, what I hadn't realised was that James Coppinger actually started his career in the Premier League. With who? Newcastle. No. Yeah. He played one game in the year 2000 coming off the bench in a 2-0 win over Tottenham. And it was right at the beginning of the season. So it wasn't like a kind of last game of the season. Here you go, mate. Coppinger was in their thoughts as a youngster at Premier League level. Um, and this was followed by a move to Exeter City. Coppinger has since stated that that move to the other end of England was a poor career choice that nearly prevented him from being a footballer altogether. Um, I think he suffered from some depression during that time. Um, Exeter were relegated from the third division at the end of the 2002-2003 season and he was very close to quitting. 
He said, I'd had a lot of negative things going on in my life. I had a fear of failing and also a fear of success. The way I was going, the way I was thinking. Before I met Terry Gormley, it was only a matter of time before I came out of football. But Terry Gormley, a motivational speaker, kind of helped renew his love of the game. And he moved to Doncaster for £30,000. Oh, deal of the century. It really is. Because actually, if you split that across all his career appearances for Doncaster... He essentially costs £43 a game. Wow. Absolutely brilliant. I think his best moment for the club came on the 27th of April 2013 uh, in an incredible final match of the season at Brentford. He scored the winning goal in a 1-0 away victory and that was just after Marcelo Trotter had missed a penalty that would have sent Doncaster into the playoffs and Brentford up. It was very much a kind of knockout Dini-esque yeah. moment but in League One um, and that obviously allowed them to go up as champions James Coppinger has been presented with the freedom of the borough of Doncaster so I've done a bit of research and I what can't find of any privileges okay, it doesn't entitle them to anything it's no just a... I'm not sure it does but I mean freedom of a city that's just something to be able to, to use as a calling card yeah. I and mean, I guess it... you can go to any pub in the city and be like you know that I've Freedom. Exactly. And I think if you have that, you have to be Mr. Doncaster, don't you? Yeah, you do. It's Marcello Trotter, Jeff, who's been on as a substitute. Uwe Rossler was pointing, I think, to Trotter, and he's. Oh! He's in a crossbar! And he's come down! And. Oh, my. What a. What. Jeff, he's in a bar, he's come down, bounced about a foot over the line, outside the goal, and now they're on the. Painter is breaking away. They're going to score to make it 1-0. They've scored. Coppinger has made it 1-0 at the other end. I don't believe what I've just witnessed, Jeff. Unbelievable. Sitting on his own up top, spearheading this mm. team, he's going to be the goal scorer. It's Sergio Pellissier. OK. <laughs> oh. It rings a bell, yes. as we say. I think quite often these names ring a bell, but nothing mm. more. And this is a Chievo Verona legend, Mr. Okay. Chievo Verona. Right. He rose through the ranks at Torino, uh, but he played just 43 minutes for the Turin club before moving to Serie C outfit for Varese. Uh, and following two seasons there in the third tier, a then 21-year-old Pellissier was snapped up by Chievo Verona in their first season in Serie A, and he never looked back. Mm. The love affair was born. Mm. It uh, would. It would begin at Kiev. Absolutely, it would. Yeah. Uh, Kiev were almost ever present in the league between 2001 and 2019. Uh, they were relegated once in 2008, but promoted straight back into Syria after winning the title. Uh, Policier won the Golden Boot. All this despite usually operating on the smallest budget and one of the smallest wage bills in the league. And Policier, for his part, made 517 appearances and was the club's top scorer for eight successive seasons. He scored 139 times for them. Wow. After ending his playing days at 40 years old, he quickly joined the club's staff as technical director. But having been relegated to Serie B in Pellissier's final season, Chievo were expelled from the league in 2021 due to financial issues. Um, and it was Pellissier who led the search for a new ownership group, to allow a Phoenix club to compete in Serie D under the Chievo name. Mm. Daniel Storey, the journalist, writes, accepting the passing of his beloved club would be to tacitly accept that his own career had all been for nothing, a deletion of his legacy. And that's quite right. He did all of that brilliance for one club and for them to simply yard of existence was unacceptable for him. Mm. Um, so he decided to instead found a new club uh, which was admitted to Terza Categoria at the very bottom of the Italian Football League system. The club, that was originally named FC Chievo 1929, had to then be renamed FC Clevense, following a legal warning from AC Chievo Verona. Uh, Verona. I find that ridiculous, yeah. frankly. I don't understand what the ownership structure is there, but mm. if they are essentially expelled from the league, they are just an entity. 
yeah. waiting there, not playing football, doing nothing. So I think that's a, a lovely idea of his. But it was shot down and they were renamed. They were actually promoted to the second categoria in their first season. Ooh. A 43-year-old policier playing in the final league game and scoring two goals in a 5-0 win. Yeah. <laughs> so, proper legend. And he's just very emotional about the whole situation. He did a, a lengthy Instagram post with a, a lovely photo of the um, stands adorned with banners and everything saying, goodbye, my beloved Kievo, you will always be the most important club in my life. Uh, and it's a two-way street. He's the Flying Donkeys' greatest player. Oh, I love that nickname. Love that. Uh, and he's undoubtedly Mr. Kievo Verona. Final note, he's perhaps the David Nugent of Italian football, Ooh. having scored one goal in one cap for Italy. Oh, nice. <laughs> or, the, or the Franny Jeffers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really behind that. Um, I mean, when you think in Italy, you have Totti with Roma, mm. you have Del Piero with Juventus, Di Natale with Udinese. Maldini with Milan. Yeah, a lot of iconic Mr. Insert clubs. So to get a more obscure one there, perfect pick, Arthur. We're now moving to up for grabs. First up is a nomination from Armen, who is part of the Football Kentron podcast. They've got a great Twitter account and an excellent podcast for everything Armenian football related. Talk about the international team, domestic league, Armenian players abroad. I wonder if they've picked an Armenian. Hey Arthur, thank you for the invite. This is Armen from Football Kentron. Our central midfielder of choice is Mr. Urardu. He's a 25-year-old that's very versatile and made Urartu senior squad at debut at age 17. This would be eight years ago. He's been club captain for the last couple of seasons. He was one of the youngest players ever to reach 100 Armenian Premier League games and currently has about 200 games overall in all competitions, league, cup and European competitions. He's got three national team games so far where he was actually instrumental for us and very important games but then got sidelined due to being injury prone and since Urartu's renaming the club and signing this partnership with UEFA 10 years ago, Hagop is one of the first graduates to still be staying put and adding performances to his tally. That's why Hagop Hagopian is our Mr. Urartu. Yes, the legend that is Hakob Hakobian, uh, who play, <laughs> who's very much Mr. FC Urartu. Thank you so much, Armin, for telling us about him. And please do check out their podcast on all good podcast stores. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, if it wasn't Mkhitaryan, I'm not sure I'd have known. So um, <laughs> great to hear about someone that obscure. Really appreciate it. Um, and the other nomination we've got for Up For Grabs is the Belgian Football Podcast. Well worth listening to this too. It really is fantastic. It's the number one English language podcast dedicated to the Pro League in Belgium and Joris has got in touch with his nomination let's find out who it is if you ask me Pierre or Pierre Denier is a long lost treasure in modern football he was a hard-working central midfielder with a fighting mentality that has spent the last 48 years let that sink in at basically the same club first it was called Winterslag after a merger with Waterschei in 1988, uh, it was known and is now known as Kersi Genk. He played around 800 games for these clubs, including a famous comeback against Arsenal in the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, where they, they had lost the away game 2-0 and won the home game 3-0, before he moved to the staff for the past 30 years. And now, while officially retires, he continues as a, a club ambassador from the for the miners club if you have to think about one player or uh, or one person in Kairse Hink he is the person you will need to think of uh, and which you probably would not have known if you're not inside Belgium okay Pierre Denier of Genk do you know him Arthur no 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 I don't either it's obscure but it's a great nomination loved finding out about him do check out that podcast too Arthur add someone into the mix yeah, for me, it's going to be Yasuhito Endo. <laughs> okay. You remember him? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty obscure today, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is a Gamba Osaka legend. Yes, okay. Uh, formidable passing ability, leadership, goal-scoring ability. He's also known for his ac excellent accuracy on free kicks. 
uh, and is revered as one of Japan's most creative midfielders, as well as one of the most talented Japanese footballers and playmakers of his generation. He's quite Nakamura-like in that sense, the free-kick specialist, but he only played domestically in his home country. Over 1,100 official appearances, 12 times in the J-League Best Eleven. He helped Gamba Osaka to their first ever J-League title in 2005 and the Asian Champions League in 2008. He's made 790 appearances for Gamba Osaka, uh, and also appeared 152 times for Japan. Wow. An all-time legend. That yeah. must be one of the most capped. I haven't actually looked that up. But this is a player who, in my mind, could have strutted his way into any European midfield. And he decided to stay loyal to Japanese football and Gamba Osaka. So in my mind, he is without a doubt Mr. Gamba Osaka. And there needed to be one of those because yeah. the fans were clamouring for it. Well, definitely. I'm looking at my name as well and thinking this is quite obscure. I'm going to nominate Xenia. Yeah, no, that's not for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, what an obscure vote we have on Twitter. Yeah, you guys you guys have got the pick of the bunch here. Yeah, at 11 pods to place your vote on who our final CM is, or central midfield. Or comment underneath the poll with any names you've actually heard of. Yeah, <laughs> anyone, frankly. Um, Xenia sprung to mind because I had a sticker of him. In the Panini 2006 World Cup book. Um, he's diminutive. He was a hugely creative five foot four. Wow. Number 10 or attacking midfielder. Um, he was born in Brazil but played for Mexico. And that meant he was part of a sort of controversial um, naturalizing of footballers over there. It, it's frowned upon in Mexico um, to have not been born in the country but represent the nation. So he had a slightly tricky time winning the hearts, but um, eventually he did give back to his country in spades, not only through 60 international appearances, but more notably during an 18-year spell with Mexican domestic side Toluca. Oh, wow. He made over 600 caps for the club and helped them win numerous trophies. Uh, and if you want to find out more about him or watch one moment, I'd suggest looking up his goal at the 2005 Confederations Cup. A sweet strike. I just, as a little side note, I really enjoy how you say they make caps. Like they're being deployed yeah. in a sweatshop. Just like creating these yeah. caps. <laughs> wow, what a man. Okay, um... Uh, do you know what? I'm not even going to read out who's in the poll because I don't know any of them. So uh, just go to Twitter. We'll work it out. It'll be fine. Senior now. He's launched that one in and Senior scores a spectacular equalising goal. As always, a few names narrowly missed the cut. Um, I mean, Alan Shearer missed a Newcastle. Mario Gomez, Mr. Stuttgart, what I liked about his story is that at the end of his career, he was prepared to go down into the second tier to help get Stuttgart back to where they belong. So uh, interested to hear from some of our loyal Stuttgart listeners uh, as to whether you'd consider him Mr. Stuttgart. Absolutely. And for me, Aritz Adderitz for oh, Bilbao. Yes, yeah, yeah. A proper legend and still banging them in in, the, in um, La Liga at 39 years old or, or, or whatever and, and making appearances for Spain as well. Um, what a legend. Incredible. So to run you through our team, in goal, Igor Akinfeyev, um, at left-back, Alan Tate. Across centre-backs, it's Linvoy Primus, Tony Adams and Bulent Korkmaz. And at right-back, Steve Cherindolo. Across the midfield, Stuart Downing, David L. Belder, a choice of yours, and at right midfield, James Coppinger, and up front, Sergio Pellissier. Thank you very much for listening. Listener.